You can say the truth without being so harsh. We need more unity. Unity is really the most important thing right now. Have you heard that? Well, today, I'm going to give you a different point of view. Pax Romana, Latin for Roman peace. The Pax Romana was peace held by Roman rule from the Mediterranean world to North Africa and Persia. Today, Iran. Pax Romana under Augustus made sure that people saw the empire as their only protection. Under the Pax Romana, Rome governed individual provinces, but each province was allowed to make and administer its own laws, but only if it accepted Roman taxation and its military control. The people in the province could worship whatever god they wanted. They could have any religion they wanted. As long as they always remembered that their peace, their way of life, their freedom was all thanks to Caesar Augustus, because Augustus was their deliverer. Augustus was their savior. To make sure that everyone always remembered this, Rome carved into the gates of the city these words. Salvation is to be found in none other save Augustus, and there is no other name given to men in which they can be saved. While Jesus walked on earth, these were the words carved into the gates of the cities. If you are a Christian, these words should sound familiar to you, because we find them in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read that for you. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today, for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and for being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Why would Peter use this exact phrase? He could have used any defense he wanted, but he chose to use the exact phrase from Pax Romana. You will notice it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, What was Paul saying to the leaders of the temple? 
he was telling them they were worshiping a false god. They were looking to Caesar as their savior, as the one giving them peace, as the one they were looking to for guidance and help. He wasn't saying this to just anyone. Peter was saying this directly to the Jewish leadership. Why wasn't Peter more gentle? Why didn't he find a way to have a more unifying message? Why basically tell them they were worshiping Caesar, the worst attack he could possibly give them? Also, that's not very unifying to Rome to use their phrase to talk about Jesus. That's a little bit ununifying. That's a little bit disrespectful to the Roman culture. Not very kind. Then why did Peter do it? Because the Holy Spirit wanted them to hear that message. And it's a message we need to hear today. Church leadership has perhaps forgotten their salvation doesn't come from the government or from the government health experts. We don't look to the government to guide and run our church. We don't look to the government to decide when we will open or close our doors of our church in order to be safe. The government is not our savior. But doesn't it say in Romans that we're supposed to live at peace with all men? No, it doesn't actually. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean by if it is possible? Is it possible? Imagine you found out your neighbor was raping his kids. What would be the Christian thing to do? Would you say, well, I need to live in peace with my neighbor. And talking about that little thing, that's going to cause conflict. I couldn't do anything that causes conflict. Of course we wouldn't do that. Clearly, in that situation, peace would not be our main concern. But you're probably thinking, that's a crazy scenario, right? I mean, a bit of a stretch. True. So let's change it up a little bit. What if he was killing his kids, stabbing them in the heart with poison, and then waiting 48 hours for them to die? And then after 48 hours, if they weren't dead yet, giving them another injection of poison directly into the hearts. And after they're dead, chopping them up into little pieces. Would you ignore that in order to live in peace? Well, that's what the church has been doing. Well, the hospital down the street is doing that exact thing to babies because what I just described is an abortion in the third trimester. And abortion isn't the only issue the church has been silent on in the name of unity. Euthanasia is a topic churches are not touching with a 10-foot pole. Or how about this? Children who are suddenly unsure about their gender being given drugs that will change their bodies in a way that cannot be reversed. Children being made sterile, all in the name of the rainbow. Churches are silent, because that would be a topic that would not bring unity. In the town where I went to church, back when we had church, we have a women's prison, and in that women's prison, there are men. Men who have been found guilty of raping and murdering women. One of those men raped and killed a baby. Now, these men are in the women's prison because they suddenly found themselves realizing that they were actually women. Now, the women in the prisons have tried to complain to the press and have only found a few willing to listen. These women have talked about how fearful they are and how some of the men have assaulted the women in the prison. Our church that I attended at the time wasn't the only church who did nothing to help these women. 
I don't know of any church that helped these women. Today, those men are still in that prison. Those women are still living in fear. But talking about that issue, helping those women, would mean that the church would have to say that men are men, women are women, and you can't change that with your feelings. And saying that would not be unifying. You see, sin, sin is an issue that divides people. My husband is reading a book by John Cooper called Awake and Alive to Truth. I'm going to read a portion of that book to you. Whenever I hear or read an historically held Bible truth, it's always followed by angry, self-professing Christians who are offended by it. Any teaching on repentance, the holiness of God, judgment, or sexual morality will be sure to invoke a chorus of people saying, that's not the Jesus I know. I've heard it so often that I've come to agree with them. That's right. That's the Jesus of the Bible, and it's not the Jesus you know. You see, the problem is that our churches have preached a Jesus that is a hippie, a peace and love, probably a socialist version of Jesus. We haven't preached the Jesus of the Bible. We haven't preached the Jesus who said some pretty non-unifying things to the leadership of the temple. Here's just a few of the things Jesus called the leaders of the temple. He called them hypocrites, fools, blind people, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, lawless. He told them they were of their father, the devil, and he called them liars. That's pretty harsh. I mean, that doesn't sound really loving and kind. Why didn't Jesus come up with a nicer, kinder, more gentle way to give his message? Why not come up with a way to say this in a way that would bring unity? Because Jesus, he didn't hate the people he was talking to. He really, really hated their sin. He despised their sin. But we can see how Jesus talked, and he shows us that saying harsh things isn't automatically bad. When is it not wrong to speak harshly? When we're talking about sin, that destroys people. When we're talking about a rebellion against God, and really specifically, when we're talking to people in church leadership who are refusing to give the message that God has. There are a lot of things in our society that the church has been silent on for the sake of unity. But in being silent on the issue, we're condoning it. Think back to when I gave that example of Imagine you knew your neighbor was raping his kids. And if you knew that was happening and you did nothing. If you knew that was happening and you did nothing, you would be responsible for what happened to those kids. Because silence in the face of evil is evil. Our society is evil. And our churches are silent. Silent.